Hey everybody, this is AJ, and this is the Unnecessary Podcast. I'll go ahead and lower this music just a bit. We're listening to Chica. Uh, I forget the name of the song because it's actually from her NPR Tiny Desk, but this is the Unnecessary Podcast. We got we got co-host Lee. What's up, Lee? Hey. Have you ever listened to NPR's Tiny Desk? I have. I've seen the videos, um, and I always wanted to do like a competing show called the Unnecessarily Huge Desk, and it's just like like Shaq's desk, like a huge desk. And instead of having people perform, we just have people sleeping on top of it, like famous people sleeping on the desk. <laughs> just a huge, just a huge ass desk. That's pretty funny. I love that concept. And it's like <laughs> a pet. I'm not going to laugh, but I'll, I'll tell you that it's funny. <laughs> that's my move is saying that's quite funny. It's my Anglo-Saxon way of quite laughing. Hilarious. It's the most Anglo-Saxon way of laughing. Funny, funny. <laughs> I, well, Anglo-saxophone. Yes, that's me. That's a great name. Mm-hmm. That's like a great name for like a DJ or like a now. song. Like doo, 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 doo. it's like a cool like, like disco angled angled saxophone. <laughs> angled sure. You're really it's just a whole that would be like a that would be like a Schofield, a Schofield song. This sounds like a saxophone concept album that you're working on pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Cool. <laughs> anyway, uh I think that <laughs> I think the unnecessary giant desk or unnecessarily giant desk, I don't know. It would be good because you're you're gonna get people's attention by being a similar name to the popular thing. You know what I mean? Right. It almost sounds official. It's like I, I trademarked the I, I trademarked the website Pork Hub and it's hugely popular. <laughs> it's just like where you buy like pork products. Yeah, it's just wholesale pork. Yeah, you need like guanciale, you need chops, you need <laughs> bacon. It's we get a lot of really angry uh, Yelp reviews though. Uh-huh. Well, do you ever like, do you ever, do you, or you're just like, people like just assume it's porn. So like, I guess I'm supposed to jerk off to this now. <laughs> like people are so dumb. They're now like, I, I just really want some, uh, some barbecue rub pork. <laughs> yeah. I guess this is porn now. This is what we do. It's COVID. Who knows? I haven't been out in four months. Maybe this is what porn is now. It's just sides non-kosher, of- non-kosher pig fetish. Well, maybe if you're Jewish, I mean, you can attest. Maybe that is kind of pornographic. It's naughty. It's taboo. I yeah, wonder I mean, that shellfish mixing fabrics. Is, what can't we do? Is, what can we do? Is kosher porn a thing? Hold on. Let me, let me take a quick. Like, like it's blessed by a rabbi before. No, no. Like, while they're shooting it. <laughs> They got to bury the plates. No, I don't mean, I don't mean like that. I mean like themed kosher themed, like, like Hasidic (laughs) porn, like, Oy vey, this, you know, you can't have the meat with the cheese. And it's like, what are you going to do rabbi? And you know, I I don't know. I like my idea better. (laughs) Like, uh, it's called like the, like the, the sexy shiksas, you know, uh, shiksa schlutz. Schlutz. Yeah, something like that. Schlutty shiksas. <laughs> oh, boy. That has Ooh. also been blessed by Rabbi. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slutty Sabbath shiksas. Schlutty, okay. sh- schlutty Shabbath as long as, shiksas. 
But it, but we can't film on Saturdays because of the Sabbath, so it, it all falls apart. No, of course not. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure this would be really frowned upon in like the Hasidic community specifically. Yeah. So I don't really pay attention to like the goings on of the global Jewish diaspora, but apparently like anti-Semitism is making a big comeback or something. So I've heard via Nick Cannon, apparently he like said a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You cut out for a second, but obviously you said anti-Semitic. We can, we can piece that together when you said Nick Cannon. When it's, yeah. oh, it's making a big comeback. Well, I'm sure you've heard in the news since Trump got elected, there's been, you know, synagogue shootings and all kinds of awfulness. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And it's especially weird for someone like me who like, obviously I am Jewish, but I don't identify as Jewish because I don't do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So like if somebody were to look at me and say, you are Jewish, I hate you. And I would be like, like, well, yeah, I guess I'm Jewish, but I don't follow any of the stuff that you supposedly hate me for. So it's kind of doesn't really make sense. It's really, I, I've, I have a lot of empathy for all kinds of brainwashed people. And I think that it's like a big brainwashing thing. They don't, they don't even know what they hate. It's a lot of, you know, Jews run the media, George Soros, conspiracy, Alex Jones type stuff. They're turning the yep. frogs gay, you know? <laughs> no, I want to tell you <laughs> yeah. So at that point you don't even know what you, you hate, you know, um, it's really toxic and destructive. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's pretty weird. Like, like we said, right before we started recording, we've, we've reached the end of, of America. We've reached, like we got there. We've lived to see the end or not as I want to get into, but, uh, you, what are your thoughts at this moment, July 2020? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it, for us, us Americans, we've we kind of won the game. You know what I mean? The game was if the game is to make life better for your children, like we kind of won. And then as soon as we realized that we won, everything started going to hell. You know what I mean? Like we got electricity, we got running water, instant communications. Mm-hmm. Um, people are treated pretty fairly compared to like, you know, 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, nobody's being murdered in the streets. Yeah. Obviously it's less fair for some people and that's something we got to work on. Um, but comparatively to the rest of history, we're doing pretty well. So it's like two generations ago, our grandparents fighting in world war two and beat the Nazis and the fascists and come back here and like, all right, we saw what did happen, what could happen. Now we have to make life better for our kids and for everybody else like that. Um, so they did. And then our parents' generation, you know, the hippie generation, they were hippies because they didn't have to, you know, fight to survive. They didn't have to go hunt for food. Everything was just provided for them. They could go to the supermarket. Everybody's living in houses. Everybody has it pretty good. So then, you know, they say that uh, hard times make strong men. Strong men make easy times. Easy times make weak men. That, that whole, uh, <laughs> Interesting. Saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it makes sense. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we have it pretty good. Um, in my house right now, I have electricity. I have water. I have internet. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, I mean. The end. <laughs> right. I, I, in 2020, the folks who are able to do well are those who had parents who were college educated and owned their houses and we grew up in privilege, so it's still around for us. Um, 
and it was around for so many people, you know, like you said, we were winning. Like we, we didn't, we, we had solved society in, in that we had created a system that allowed for upward mobility and yep. it wasn't perfect. Uh, but it did allow, like we had this great society program in ni- the 1960s under LBJ that was like dozens of programs about ending poverty because we figured out that we had all the resources we needed in the world. And with industrialization, we produced such a great surplus of resources that we could provide for everybody potentially. So we tried and and it's really crumbled. I've been learning, reading about upward mobility um, more and more. I mean, that was my background of study in college with sociology, but I was recently reading that um, black homeownership increased more before the civil rights act of 1964 uh, black homeownership increased the most from the 1940s up until the 1960s. And then 1964, 1968, when, when we got more civil rights policy enacted, it was kind of too late because we had taken back so much financial and economic policy that it restricted everybody from getting houses. So like black people and white people and people of all uh, demographics increased their home ownership in the forties, fifties and sixties. And then it stopped. And it's because we reversed and, and disassembled or dismantled a lot of like good regulations and good kind of progressive policies on the economic side, which was unfortunate. And also there was the whole redlining of the black communities where, mm-hmm. you know, they, that, that whole thing was just that, that like literally makes me sick when I think of, Yes. About right. That kind of stuff. Right. Um, and so and the, just, to, just to clarify for our listeners, LBJ stands for little baby juice. <laughs> That's the, the, the LBJs. Yeah. You get a wife, you have some LBJs running around. Um, yeah. The redlining thing happened in the forties, fifties and sixties during the time where it was most economically advantageous to get a house. So like when our parents were gaining generational wealth, that was the exact time or grandparents and parents were gaining generational wealth. That was the exact time that black people were not able to get it. Um, and even yep. then, even during redlining, black people were able to get more upward mobility through housing than after redlining because other economic policies changed. Like it's, it, it, it was weird. Like we, we got rid of redlining, but then we, we implemented all these other restrictions that fucked up our economy. So like, God, it's, it's really ridiculous. Cause then you have people who don't know any of this or are on the opposite side. And it's like, you're talking about two different countries with people. Oh, absolutely. And the crazy thing about generational wealth is that when you hear the, when you hear the phrase generational wealth, you think of like families that have like millions of dollars in the bank, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank, but that's not what it is at all. E- even if your family, like, let's say your car breaks down and you no longer have a car. If you have access to someone in your family who can loan you $5,000, $10,000 to get a car, something like that, that is a part of generational wealth. Whereas, you know, someone who, who doesn't have access to that is just completely screwed. And now they have to, to figure out the schedule. And now if they miss the bus and they get fired from work because they, you know, they were late a couple times because the bus was late. All that kind of stuff factors into it. And I mean, I, I definitely... My family is by no means rich. You know what I mean? My, my dad's a mortgage banker. Well, he was um, before he uh, went on disability. But um, in the 2008 housing crisis, we almost lost everything. We almost lost our house. My, my dad had to take out credit cards to pay for everything, destroyed his own credit. 
um, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, generational wealth is not the, these like million dollar families. Of course, they do exist, but it's mostly just the, the middle to upper middle class, you know, people who have $50,000 in the bank. You right. know what I mean? In addition to be, having all their bills paid and they have 50 grand in the bank, 70 grand in the bank, 100 grand in the bank, or even 20 grand in the bank. You know what I mean? I, I don't have a savings. I have nothing. You know what I mean? I, I'm paycheck to paycheck. That's just how it goes. That's how I live my life. I don't really care. I have my music festivals. Uh, I work as a server sometimes. Um, so I don't have that immediate wealth. But, you know, if I needed to borrow $5,000, if I was going to go to jail, if I, if I couldn't come up with $5,000, I could go to my parents and they would find that money for me. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And so many people don't have access to that. And that's literally what has kept me from going under you know, for the last 10 years that I've been an active adult in society. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And I've, I've recently learned about a phrase in the past year called networks of privilege. And if you didn't have work or needed $5,000, you can tap into your network of privilege, whether that's your family or whether that's like your friends, like me and like the, the, the dozens of friends that you have. Like if you desperately needed a job, you can tap into that network and you never, you never think about how your network is a network of privilege. Like you're just like, no, these are just fucking people that I know. And they're all blue collar people too, for the most part. Um, but you don't know how shitty some people have it, you know, or, or how shitty some networks could be. Yeah. And some people have no one, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Some people literally have no family. They have no friends. They're just going to collect a paycheck, going home to their studio apartment. You know what I mean? And then, depression, anxiety, suicide rates are up, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And something that I always thought was so admirable about immigrant enclaves in the U S was how they elevated themselves and operated as sometimes socialist communes within capitalist society to make sure that their own was taken care of. I mean, Jewish immigrants are famous for that. And I think that's really admirable and, and it sucks that you have to do that, but it's uh, it's something to be celebrated, I think. Yeah, it's just the reality of the world. You know what I mean? Capitalism is good for what it does, but it's not the end all be all. And it's not like this is capitalism and everything else is not. Like there has to be, you know, middle ground. So there you have perfect like socialist communes within the capitalist system that help each other within the larger framework, which is super important. Yeah. And I feel like we're losing that. I, I volunteer at the syringe access place or needle exchange place in Denver. And I'm also on the board there, but when I go in and in person volunteer um, and help out everybody on, on their staff, thanks me, you know, profusely because they're very thankful that I'm helping. But in my mind, um, I owe such a great debt to society and I owe such a great debt to people like them that there's no amount of work I could possibly do to <laughs> to give back more than I've received from society. So yeah. that's I mean, I'm really blessed. I'm so lucky, you know, but but I, I I hope I wish that everybody who felt a little bit of comfort was able to have gratitude for like the community that that supports them. Yeah, absolutely. I- I think people really, it's, it's really a disservice that we're teaching our younger generation now that America is like a piece of shit. You know what I mean? That 
America sucks because it hasn't gone the way that we all would like it to go. But I think it's it's just like working on yourself as an individual. Like just because your past sucks doesn't mean that your future can't be great as long as you put in the work and as long as you take your ego out of it and do the right thing. Yeah. Speaking of taking ego out and, and like what this country is about socially, the, the whole mask culture war that happened since March and now coming into July, we're starting to come out of it. But this weird thing where um, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask more specifically signals that you have a certain ideology um, that pissed the shit out of me. But I, I always was thinking about how it's so American of us, uh, our reaction oh, yeah. to coronavirus and our refusal to wear masks or at least the debate over wearing masks. I, I think that we are taught in this country to be fiercely independent and vigilantly self uh, promoting. And we are discouraged from acknowledging the community support that we receive for all of the things that we have. Like we love personal accountability and independence and it goes back 250 years in our country, this sort of psychology, which I think is interesting, a cultural psychology we have of fierce independence. And it's, I think psychologically we've hit our limit with COVID and it's bit us in the ass. Whereas you look at a country like Sweden, they rank consistently the highest in the world in trustworthiness, both interpersonal as well as governmental or, or sociopolitical. And it's weird that like they're more compliant than us. We are fucking fierce. Don't tread on me type shit. Uh, But when it comes to wearing masks kind of bites us in the ass. Yeah, I mean, it's the the, ups, the upside and the downside of the individualistic culture that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like capitalism. You know what I mean? Like, there's definitely good parts about it, but the, the socialist commune part of capitalism is family. You know what I mean? The family unit is the socialist unit of capitalism. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, my, my, we work as our families to help each other to make it up into the upper tiers or as high up as you can go to live comfortably. And I think that, that there's one great quote that says all Americans don't think that they're poor. They just think that they're temporarily embarrassed millionaires and that eventually <laughs> like we'll all be millionaires and we'll, we'll all be super rich. Like that, that to me, the American dream is not being super rich and buying all this material stuff. The American dream is what I'm doing right now. I'm in my house mm-hmm. with electricity and running water talking to you on the internet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there's no one outside my house. There's no armed militias roaming through the street that I have to be afraid of, although I did buy a gun recently. Um, yeah, yeah, I got, got myself a uh, 12-gauge shotgun, just in case. <laughs> nice. But, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, it's pretty crazy out there, especially in the cities right now. Yeah, yeah, I've, I live five blocks from the Capitol building, and I've, I talked on a, on a previous episode with some friends on here about the, the crazy, like, living five blocks from the Capitol and seeing the what I think is kind of cool apocalyptic state with the graffiti everywhere, <laughs> like the fuck the police <laughs> yeah, yeah. written on the Capitol building. I'm like, fuck yeah. Like this is democracy. Like have your voice yeah. be heard. Um, it's, yeah. cool. it's cool until it's hijacked by people with different ideologies who don't really want what the original plan was. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to, you've been covering the protests and, and just current events in general with, with your news organization. Can you, t- I want to hear more about Hobot news. Can you go into like, how did this start and what's it all about? Yeah. So Hobot news has been absolutely insane. Um, it's basically 
taking over my entire life. Um, so it really started, um, Anthony was in his hometown of Shamokin, which uh, was on Tosh.0 as one of the, like, the most ridiculous town cities in the country. Um, and it's just like a super small town. Like everyone there is like real redneck. Like, hey, how you doing there, boy? How's it going there, boy? Or that kind of thing. Um, so there was this big fight with a bunch of like teenagers at this Turkey Hill and Anthony filmed it and uh, posted it on Facebook and it blew up and it got all these different views and stuff. And so he called me, he was like, yo, I should start like uh, a local news organization because that doesn't exist around here. And you know, there's no like centralized local news around here. So I was like, yeah, let's, do it so i was like why don't we call it hobot news because everyone says hobot and he was like yeah it's a great idea uh, so <laughs> oh started. i was wondering so wait yeah, who yeah. said who says that who says hobot so hobot is hobot is like hey bud like hey buddy <laughs> like oh hobot. that's just how they talk up there they say oh boy, I don't know, boy. Oh, <laughs> you live in a real that's a backwards area man <laughs> those course, eastern appalachians oh man yeah exactly and, and of course me being from like the philadelphia area and going there for the first time, I was like, why do these people talk like this? Like, this is hilarious. And the first time that Anthony came to my neighborhood, he was like, wow, this is like very industrial. They were like, like we drove in. The first time he ever came to my parents' house down north of Philly, um, you get off the highway and you drive through this industrial park. So there's like these huge office buildings. Mm. And one of those office buildings is probably bigger than any building that Shemokin has ever had. Right. And that was just one of like the hundred buildings. So he, he, dro- he drove through then I was like, oh my God, like this kid is rich. Like talking about me, he's like, this kid lives, this kid's like a millionaire. And then obviously he comes to my house and it's just like a normal house. Right. Um, he's but, a country uh, bumpkin is what Anthony is. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> so, so that's how it started. Just, uh, that Turkey Hill fight. And then we just, you know, started slow on Facebook and he's just sharing local news and it's just, you know, plugging away day by day. We're just doing different things. And with the news, it's just like one big story is all it takes to, to break it open for a reporter right. to get to the next level. Right. So the next really big thing that happened was, have you heard of Centralia, the yeah. town? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's where like that graffiti highway is. Um, it's what the movie Silent Hill, it's what that was based off of, Centralia. Um, there's an underground mine fire that's been burning there since like the 50s, and it's still burning. Um, and there's only like, like oh, yeah. 15 people who live in the town who refuse to leave. Yeah. So they have this graffiti highway that people have been graffitiing for the last like 50 years. Okay. Um, so when COVID started going on and everything started going crazy, um, a bunch of people decided to get together and go to graffiti highway. So Anthony went there and filmed them. Um, and there were people driving like TVs and stuff and just trashing the place, you know, people just treating it like crap. Um, and that video got the attention of the owners of the property and all this kind of stuff. So they decided that they were going to cover up graffiti highway. So people would stop congregating there. You know, this is like a a local national landmark, right? It was a pretty big deal. So Anthony went there on the day that they were bringing in dump trucks to put, uh, like dirt over everything and just film the dump trucks coming in and all that kind of stuff. And it got like, got like 300,000 views on Facebook. So that was like the first really, really big thing that happened. The Turkey Hill fight got like maybe like 30 or 40,000 views. But I mean, you know, when I post stuff on Facebook, it gets, you know, like 50 likes. Right. So, 
you know, a few hundred thousand views is absolutely absurd. And you're not paying so for, second, you're not, you're not paying for ads or like placement, right? Reach. You're not paying for the reach because Facebook limits. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, it's all just free. So that's, that's what face, people complain about Facebook, but I mean, it's, it's amazing if you use it for the right reasons. Um, it's just free, free advertising, free marketing, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that Centralia video was really the first thing that really blew up. Um, once COVID and everything happened, um, Hobart News turned more into like, you know, the, the information central for what was going on because obviously news media is so biased that you just, you can't even watch TV. It's all, it's all skewed every single channel. Yeah. There's just no point. Um, so oh, when the riots happened in Philly, that was when things really changed. Um, he went down there and live streamed in the city for two hours straight. And I always tell him that this is a historical document because there was no one else there filming. There were no news crews. He was literally walking through the streets of Philly as it burned and nobody bothered him. Everybody left him alone. He was just standing there, you know, with his phone in his hand, just walking through the streets, live streaming as people are throwing like Molotov cocktails looting buildings breaking glass cops are like ripping people out of cars it, it was insane and he's just walking through filming it all for two hours and that ended up i think right now it has over seven hundred thousand views on facebook um yeah so that was really really the crazy one and i i watched i've watched that video probably three or four times all the way through um and it's just it, it's just completely absurd like there's this one scene and it's nighttime where he's filming walking around around the corner and you see this group of people just going underneath you know those um those chain link drop down uh doors i guess like garage doors that they have in shops to, to protect them at night when they're closed oh yeah yeah sure yeah yeah so it, it was raised up like three feet and you just see a group of like 10 people just like going underneath it and one guy like waving them all in just going in to loot this place and anthony's just filming them so they go in take a bunch of shit and they all get out, and as soon as the last person is out, a whole group of riot police walk around the corner, just missing that happening. <laughs> and like, that was just what, yeah, yeah, and that was just one 30-second scene of the over two hours of footage that he got walking around Philly. Like, it's just, it's the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. I, I sent it to all the news agencies, I sent it to a bunch of, of YouTube reporters and nobody responded back to me, but I, I swear to you one day that that video is going to get its comeuppance and it's going to come back around and people are going to be like, wow, this is the only video documented evidence of the riots in Philly that will ever exist. And mm -hmm. I just think that's so cool. Um, so that was really the jumping off point of Hobo news when things really picked up. And I mean, now on Facebook, we got 25,000 followers. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook is like sending us, it's getting a little dicey right now. We don't really know what we did wrong, but Facebook is sending us emails that saying that uh, the page could get um, deactivated because of, of what do they call it? Um, I, I forget what the words that they used were, but apparently in 2016, during the last election, there was so much fake news and, and like bots on Twitter and Facebook um, putting out fake information that they just started. It's called inauthentic behavior. That's that's what it's called. So Facebook calls it coordinated inauthentic behavior. So basically, if you have more than one account and you're using your accounts to make it look like there's more people commenting on something than there actually is, 
where it's getting more reach than it actually is. Like if I have 10 accounts right. and then I post something and then use the other nine accounts to like, like that and sure. comment on it, that's yeah. inauthentic behavior. Right. So because Anthony has two profiles and I have a profile, we have multiple pages, I guess they're flagging us. We're like under the arm of that statute. Why do you, um, oh, so yeah. right now we're, why do you have two? First of all, Phoebe said, Oh no. And why do you have, oh, no. why do you have two? Why do you have multiple accounts, bro? Oh, so um, Anthony had his regular Anthony profile. And then once we started Threestable, um, he filled up with friends. So you can only have 5,000 friends. So he started his second account, Threestable Anthony, as kind of oh. like a burner account, just to add more people to get the, the word out about Threestable, our music festival that we have uh, four times a year. Um, so basically, we just had to delete that Threestable account. We lost like all, you know, 4,000 some friends on that, which kind of sucks. But better than being deactivated activated on Facebook and losing 25,000 followers. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, it's been pretty crazy lately. So we're trying to make the move over to YouTube. Um, we, we went from under a hundred subscribers on YouTube to almost 1100 in about a week. Um, so once you get over a thousand subscribers on YouTube, you can do, you can, you can live stream on there. You can monetize videos and stuff like that. So we're, we're going to try to slowly move everything over to YouTube. Well, I think that's so cool. Uh, congratulations on starting that. I think that local news is so important and local journalism yep. is so important. And I, you, I'm guessing you you might be familiar with like what's been going on the past few years with local journalism around the country, just getting gutted. Um, yep. Yep. I, I was listening to this podcast. I learned that like what these private equity companies do is they they turn these local, like the Denver post where I live, uh, they turn them into zombie publications is what they call them now. Um, where the, the private equity company buys them and then they fire like two thirds of the staff, uh, like all the writers and stuff. And then what they do is they simply have the other writers produce tons of garbage and they fill up the missing space with like AP, you know, wire, uh, national press that they can use and it just, and then they stop co covering local news as a result and they stop covering important yep. news. And also the, the quality obviously goes down, but the private equity companies know that at least for the first year or two or up to five years, like a, a large percentage of their subscribers won't notice or they won't care or they're not dedicated readers and they just keep doing it and they won't like, they figured out they'll keep 60% of their subscribers if they cut 70% of their budget. And so they're there. It's just so such cold hearted calculations that leads to really terrible journalism. So anyway, great job. Oh, thank you. Um, so the main reason why I stopped following all like the big boy journalists and when I found this out, I couldn't believe it. And it just completely turned my whole world upside down. So let's say someone like CNN, they post an article online and collect X amount of dollars in ad revenue from all the ads that are run on that article. If that article is proven to be false, partly false, completely fake, just totally made up, whatever it is, and then they issue a retraction article, they also collect the ad revenue on that article saying how the first one was wrong. Mm -hmm. So regardless of whether they post something that's true, false, in between, completely made up, they get that money and they don't have to give it back. So why wouldn't, a huge entity like CNN or Fox news or anything like that post yeah. 
as many articles as they can, as fast as they can to get as much money as they can, regardless if it's true or false. Uh -huh. that, that just blew my mind when I found that out. One of the best pieces of wisdom I got was from an Uber driver who was from Ethiopia. And we were talking about the revolution there, which I didn't know much about. And he was a journalist and he had friends who were, and he said something that I disagree with, but I, I, I agree with part of it, but he said that uh, the best journalist will, would never, will never be rich. And um, I think I agree that like the best journalist will always will always at some point have to make sacrifices, financial sacrifices in order to get the best story, the truth in order to be the best journalist, you will have to forego the most money at some point. Uh, I still think you can, yeah. you can be rich. Like I think Matt Taibbi probably has a lot of money, um, but he's like this amazing, right? Michael Bauman, the guy who did uh speed fucking the, the, about the, the, the high speed trading and the fucking, he also did Moneyball, but um yeah, yeah, I know Moneyball. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, like, yeah, I think there are journalists that are probably good and also rich, but I like that guy's idea where like the best journalism is one that will sacrifice the most profit for, for the good, the sake of good journalism, the principles of journalism. And so I've always thought that was really cool and, and, and a, a good lens to look at mainstream media through. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that carries over to a lot of different industries. Uh, I mean, you look at the average CEO set, salary versus the average worker salary. It's like 10,000 to one or something like that. You know what I mean? And wow. it, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's the actual number, but it's something ridiculous like that. I mean, if, if a CEO is making, you know, $20 million and the average worker is making minimum wage, what's the, the math on that? 271 um, to one. Oh, <laughs> and it's increased. It's, it's ridiculous. And CEO, so, CEO compensation has grown 940% since 1978. Anyway, go on. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, kind of carry that over like running my festival three civil i'm only when i run a festival i'm only making a small percentage more than we're paying the highest paid band you know what i mean so it's like some of the bigger festivals that have you know tens of thousands of people the people who are running those festivals are making a shit ton of money but for a festival like mine where we're paying a headliner you know eleven hundred twelve hundred dollars and I'm walking away with maybe double that. Yeah. And I'm okay. You know what I mean? I'm okay with that. I don't need to be rich. I don't need to have a whole shit ton of money, but in doing that, it allows me to employ local musicians. It allows me to employ local food vendors. It allows me to employ local craft vendors, local security people. You know what I mean? Local yeah. electricians, all that kind of stuff. Stuff, the trash, the porta potties, these are all local companies that we are pumping money into. You know what I mean? And, and even though I'm not making much more, you know, we're, we're probably paying as much for trash and garbage as I'm walking away with at the end of the day. But snowballing that, doing that four times a year for, you know, we've been doing it since 2016. How many people have we been able to keep afloat just by having four events and then making, you know, four or 500 bucks each time? It's, it's just, it's a, it's a snowball of good things that we can bring to the community. But when these CEOs are making 271 times the worker and, and it's just going up and up and up, it's like, we're, we're concentrating everything at the top and destroying everything at the bottom. And here we are. And now everybody at the bottom is pissed. Yeah.
Yeah, we are pissed. I, I've been trying to find more common ground with, uh, I have a lot of family members who are right wing populists and some of them Trump reporter, Trump supporters, even to this right. day. And I've been trying to have more empathy and find more common ground and, and understand that like a lot of what Trump says, his rhetoric, I agree with. I don't think he follows through on his, his, a lot of his rhetoric, but like the fact that the DNC has been screwing us, like they've been screwing me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, our, our agreements may end there with how the DNC is screwing us, but like there are things that there, we have common ground. And I think that I've, also recently come to grips with the fact that like the quote unquote culture wars and the quote unquote um, identity culture or identity politics rather uh, is some, these are promoted by the moderate uh, centrist corporatist mainstream media people and politicians and, and just voters in that ilk because uh, they want us picking sides on these social issues like, uh, absolutely like transgender fucking bathrooms so that we are not uniting on the fact that they are stealing all our fucking money. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. They want us talking about transgender bathrooms and that's what we talk about fucking all the time. And it's like, no, 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 we can disagree on transgender bathrooms. Uh, sorry, Trent, like, like we'll get back to that. But right now we need to fucking look at the rich people and the people in power, the power elite, um, and see how they are forcing us to, to only talk about transgender bathrooms. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of people have come to that realization over the past three years. Oh, God damn it. So, yeah, it's an awakening. Like, I've, I've, I've been very zen about this. I'm really fortunate during coronavirus and, and racial uh, unrest uh, or essentially the oppression of non-white people since the beginning of this country. I'm fortunate in that I observe all these things and they don't affect me directly yet. And yep. it's really Zen for me to go through all that, uh, to like witness all this and to be in a position right. of, of comfort. Um, but I've, I've been really optimistic about how you need bad shit to happen in order to have progress. It is so rare yep. for progress to just happen out of nowhere. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at look at the the Black Plague that happened in like the 1500s. After that was the Renaissance. That's racist. That's racist. So. But go ahead. Oh, oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the should, should I call it the bubonic chronic? <laughs> That's right. Yes, you should. Please. Yes. <laughs> Please. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Look at the look at the plague. Yeah, and then after the plague came was the Renaissance, mm -hmm. and that you know, propelled us into our modern age now. So we'll see what's going to happen post coronavirus. Uh, if there is a post coronavirus. Yeah. I, I, I think on the last episode that I was on here, uh, I mentioned that uh, we didn't just wake up one day and, and put and start the new deal. <laughs> we had to go through like a depression. Yep. Um, and then I recently learned that Congress at the time in the early thirties had this huge tsunami of progressive wins and led to a ton of new progressives coming into Congress. And they are the ones that put pressure on president Roosevelt to enact the new deal. Um, because FDR was a moderate 
and a centrist when he was elected. And I thought it was interesting that they pushed him towards that. And uh, I liked that. It made FDR seem like less of a dictator, which I always see him as. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to ask you a question um, because I recently did this because I'm bored and at home for months at a time. I made my list of top right. 10. I made my list of top 10 greatest presidents. <laughs> That's how bored I am. Okay. So have you ever thought about this? Do you have a favorite? Do you have a top, like these are great presidents. Do you ever think about that? I just, I don't know enough about politics to comment. Honestly, that's just, you know what I mean? I, that's just, uh, I'll be completely honest. I don't know enough about it to even have one favorite president. I hear you. I'm really a nerd. But that's why I listen to people like you. Yeah, I'm a super nerd. Um, I mean, so, somebody has to pay attention. You know what I mean? That's, that's just the way it is. If no, nobody pays attention, we're all screwed. If enough smart people pay attention, then people like me, like I consider myself smart, but only in that I can critically think. Not that I come up with my own great ideas. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like if you gave me the components to build a cell phone, I could definitely not build a cell phone. Um, <laughs> but I can use a cell phone uh, pretty well. So I would consider myself uh, smart in that way. But, I mean, pe- people like you. Uh, have you ever heard of Tim Pool? Yeah. Oh, I talk about Tim Pool yeah. all the time with our old friend Steve Sunick. Uh, okay, yeah. I am a big Tim Pool fan, not because I agree with everything he said. Right. But just because I like that, you know, I'll defend to the death of your right to say it. Um, I like that he puts his opinions out there. He's not afraid of it. And although I don't agree with, with a lot of stuff that he said, is, he, he puts out a lot of good points that I wouldn't have thought of otherwise, which I think is a great service, regardless if, you know, you, you believe it or not. You and Anthony could be the next Tim Pools. Like your career could, in journalism, could go the same route because he, he's obviously independent and and not, not like a progressive and I wouldn't call him a Republican or right wing either. Actually, maybe he's a little right wing, but you know, he's, he's kind of centrist, but he came to prominence first, I believe in the Occupy movement kind of documenting it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of what we're looking at as our business model to move forward um, to see what he does. So we're trying to do more, more live streams and now we're trying to move to YouTube and all that kind of stuff. That's cool that he's providing like that model and, and he can, he can provide that roadmap. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he, uh, he doesn't have a lot of sponsors, but he always says that he, he rejects most of the people that come to him for sponsorship, but he will sponsor stuff that he believes in. So there's this one thing that he pushed that I actually bought. Um, it's called hot and ready meals. And it's basically like a food supply. It's like, um, it's one month of freeze dried, packaged food in case anything happens in like a, like a tub. So it was, uh, it was half off. So it was 200 bucks and it's one month of food, 2000 calories a day for one month. So I bought that, you know what I mean? And he was like, you know what? If nothing happens, it's good. It stays good for 25 years. Keep it in your attic and you forget about it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Survival food. Yeah. Yeah. So I got that. I got my gun. I got that. So I'm a little bit, I have like a little bit more of a food supply here now. I think one thing that this has taught everybody, and if you haven't learned this at this point, you're not paying attention. The veneer of society is much thinner than we all thought it was. <laughs> and things can go sideways very quickly if the right uh, chain of events happens, as we've seen, as New York burns, as Philly burns, as Minneapolis burns, as Seattle burns. Like, it's, uh, you know, 
society is much more volatile than we'd all like to admit. So I think if everybody is just a little bit more prepared, it's going to do us all a great service. Uh, I love the word veneer. Such a great yeah. word. And it's so perfect yeah. in, in the way you used it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it really is the veneer. Um, it I really was give me a veneer of intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you said, you know, you don't know it uh, enough about politics uh, for the president thing, it reminds me of this philosophy that Eva has that I really like where she says that in a, in a well-run society, everybody has their role that they uh, are, are suited to and that they can excel at because not everybody is good at everything. And it's ridiculous to expect everybody to be good at everything. And that's why we created our society. So, and, but she was, I think it's an, a great idea for anybody in any strata of society, but also it, it makes me think about like people with autism. Cause as you know, like some have made great contributions to society, but I feel like all of them could, if we knew what the fuck we were doing with life, you know? Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so I, I, I wanted to mention my top 10 president list because I was making it, uh, after chatting with our, our old college friends and our political group chat about this bullshit. Oh, so, so I'm sorry to interrupt you before we go to that. Can I just hit on one thing about what Eva said about everybody has their place in society? Please do. Um, just reminded me of a great, of a great thing. So obviously my boy, Jordan Peterson, you know who he is. Um, so he, one thing that he talked about, uh, um, which is really, really interesting is that the United States military, you would think that they would want as many people to sign up for the military in whatever role as possible to get as many bodies in positions as possible. So we can kind of use that as a baseline hiring indicator. Like if you can be hired by the military, they're going to have you in it because they just want bodies in there. Whether it's, you know, medics, whether it's actual infantry, whether it's computers, whether it's janitors in the buildings, you know what I mean? The government wants people to work for it. So the United States military will not hire anyone with an IQ lower than I think it's 83 or 84. And that turns out to be about 10% of the population. So what can this 10% of the population do? So basically the military sees this 10% of the population with an IQ of less than 83 or 84, that anything that they would hire them to do would be completely uh, counterproductive. There's uh-huh. literally no job that the military has for someone with an IQ below 84 that would be productive. And so like, what, what does that mean for society? What does it mean for um, IQ ratings? What does it mean for those people? What does it mean for every, the other 90% of people who are above that? Um, I just always thought, the, since the first time I... I heard him talk about it. I thought that was so interesting because he's right. Like, why wouldn't the military want as many people to sign up as possible? But literally, they won't let you sign up if you have an IQ of less than 84. Well, narrow, so, so narrow. What, what do we do with those people? Well, narrow brained fucking Jordan Peterson can only look at the world in his narrow tunnel. He couldn't, he didn't have a reason for this. I have a very easy reason. The, the military wants you to kill people, and like the military needs you to follow directions. And if you have an IQ that's too low, like there's no way you're going to be able to follow directions. You know what I mean? Like this is going to be well, right, right. So, so, so what, what, what job in our society do we have for those people? Well, there's plenty, but that's the thing. There's plenty of people that can't follow directions that, that are like amazing. Like Jackson Pollock, you know what I mean? There is a place. Yeah, right. 
So, um, I don't know, there's one woman who had autism who changed changed the the livestock industry because she was able to understand cows in ways that humans weren't. Uh, I I feel like the military. It's not so much that the military thinks that these people uh, can't be used by them. It's like the military is like, we don't have enough time to figure out the best way. You know what I mean? And it's like, we could figure out the best way to have a severely autistic person operate in the military. It's just going to take like so fucking long. It's going to take so many resources. Like this is not the cost benefit analysis of doing that. Doesn't make sense. Um, Also as an anti-war person, like fuck. And and also also in the way that our, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like maybe that that goes to show that our military is not set up in the best way possible. Yeah, and also fuck the military. Like, I'm so against violent, like like state force. I'm so against force of any kind. Like, uh, the army is such fucking shit, dude. Going back to my top ten presidents list, it's really a a, a top ten least shitty. Uh, right, like, right. Man, our our society, like we. In the 20th century, we started crawling out of the dregs and we're, we're heading back towards it. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm so against the military. Uh, and so fuck, fuck them for like not thinking, you know, whatever. Like they could be bad. I'd rather them be bad groceries or, or, or do nothing. Like I'd rather them be on the dole and maybe they come up with a creative idea or something. Like they have somebody, an occupational therapist, but right. Another great idea I heard was that we have to get away from this idea that every single person needs a job to be, uh, to be a, uh, not productive member, to be like a valued member of our society. That if you don't have a job, that means that you're not like a valued member of society. He's like, we have to get away from that. I forget who said this, but but he said, um, like now we're just creating jobs so that people will have jobs and we're just making everything more, more complicated than it needs to be because we're just, creating places for people to have, you know, a, an income source, a revenue source, mm-hmm. um, that it, it's just, it's making less and less sense. And I guess that, that, that goes to talk about universal basic income and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. And, um, a lot of people see the behavior of somebody who, who is severely autistic as a burden or as a detriment to whatever work they're doing. And I think that's a limit in creativity and how you envision this behavior, like, I don't know. I can envision this behavior being really beneficial to somebody who, I don't know, is in a graduate program or something. Um, like, yeah, like it could be a job, like social interaction is so important, right. To, to human health and to public health that maybe there is a social benefit, um, for, for people with disabilities. I don't know. Or, or they, or they're on the dole because some people can't, I've met plenty of people on disability who just like couldn't work. And it's like, okay, fine. Like you should write, you should find something that you love. And with better mental health in this country, I think that that could happen too, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's another reason I love doing the festivals is I get so many messages and emails from people who are, who just like thank me for throwing the festivals and being like, I literally have nowhere else that I can go where people accept me, where I can interact with people. And it's not like weird. Um, yeah, because, yeah. you know, there are, there are a lot of people with, with, you know, mental issues and stuff like that that come to the festivals because, you know, they see like-minded people and it's not about making money. It's just about connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say that the opposite of addiction is connection. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh man. So, so I, uh, Oh, so, so Tim pool a few months ago, uh, our friend Steve sent me a Tim pool clip and I'm, I try to dutifully listen and read everything that my conservative or independent or moderate friends send me because I want to, want to earnestly engage and be respectful. Right. And you got to hear all sides. And so Tim pool was like, this was when the, the stimulus check was being cut that $1,200 or however much it was. Um, and Tim pool yep. was like, here's, here's the problem with this. And he was like, you know, one check is whatever, but, but when you, when you give people money, clearly they're not going to want to work anymore. And then there's like two co-hosts were like, Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. That's a natural thing. If you give somebody money, then they're going to be less motivated to work. And then they continue talking based on this premise that like it's human nature for fucking people to be lazy once they get support. And I, I, there's no evidence. And I, I, I know a lot of people think that way and I don't. And, I'm just like, ah, oh, can we not? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with I agree with one part of that, and that it will disincentivize you to work at a job that you hate. I think that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I've been getting unemployment this whole time, and servers are going back to Red Lobster, but I'm not going back to Red Lobster right now because I have money from unemployment that I got. But Red Lobster is not my career choice. It's just like my gig to make money whenever I need it. Mm-hmm. So, in that way, yes, I agree with that. If, if I'm getting paid money and I don't have to go to a dead end job, I am certainly not going to go to my dead end job. You know what I mean? I'm going to focus on the festival. I'm going to focus on Hobart news. I'm going to focus on doing my digital media stuff for different companies. Um, so I just, I think that that needs to be said also in there, but yeah, continue. True. No, that was, that was pretty much my whole point. I think that's a great addition. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because you know, now that I, I, I have some money saved up from getting unemployment, I've been focusing more on, you know, my own creative endeavors and my own businesses and, you know, Angel, my wife started her own business uh, called three B's crafts. Her and two of her friends are making and selling uh, crafts on Facebook. Um, And because of all this extra time that we had being locked down and not having to go go to work for, you know, eight to 10 hours every day, six days a week, she was able to start this business with her friends and get it going and, you know, have some money to, to put into it in the beginning to get supplies and all that kind of stuff. And she wouldn't have had that opportunity had we been at work, you know, 10 hours a day, six days a week that we've been doing for the past 10 years. Um, so it's, it's a very, very interesting to see all of these different social factors at play um, while this is happening. And I mean, I'm definitely incentivized not to go to work because I'm getting unemployment. So like, why would I go back and work as a server at Red Lobster right now if I'm getting more money to stay home? but I'm going to go twice as hard at my own, my own businesses, entrepreneurial stuff. And I think that also gets lost in that discussion of, Oh, well, we're giving people an extra $600 a week. Nobody's going to want to work. Well, nobody's going to want to work at pay them like they're trash. Mm-hmm. Great point. Great point. I hate when people blame the people with the least resources for like society's problems. It's like, <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's seriously. your fault. And it's like, dude, we're not the ones who created this. We're not the ones in control of this. Cause also people, I hate the idea that people think that um, our society is completely out of our control and that our economy is out of control. The economy and it's going to crash. And like, do you understand this is all fucking made up by us? You know, this whole system and, and people just are so beholden to these, these bullshit ideas. God damn it. Lee, I'm angry. I'm royally pissed. Yeah, 
I'm really pissed. <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, it, the, it's crazy seeing that the analog and the digital worlds collide right now. You know what I mean? Like Y2K in the year 2000, the, all the computers crossed over. And now we're at this point in 2020 where we're trying to live a digital life in an analog world. And so many things are not syncing up because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, an, I think, another way that the generation after us or below us, whatever you want to say, the, the Zers, the Gen Z, they have an advantage over us because they, the digital is, is ingrained in how their brain works. They're much more cyborg minded than we are. Um, yeah. We were like the, we're like the placeholders. Yeah. And they will be placeholders for the next gen, you know, whatever comes next, but, yeah, exactly. but they yep. really have it, have the cyborg mind, which I'm really envious of. Um, and like, I love the, the whole, TikTok and K-pop fans disrupting Trump's Tulsa rally. Did you hear that? Yeah, so ridiculous. Yeah, and so and it goes back to your inauthentic user thing with the Facebook. Like these TikTok users figured out like if if 10,000 of us click on something, then the algorithm is going to think that we did that all separately and not coordinated. Therefore the algorithm is going to think that like 500,000 people are actually interested in it. And so 10,000, they figured out that like 10,000 people can just fucking click around and coordinate all these crazy movements and like use the, the algorithms against them, like, like take advantage of them where we feel, I heard somebody say that millennials feel trapped and oppressed by these computer systems and Gen Zers feel more empowered by them. Right. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Hmm. Um, so laced, I'm going back to my, I'm going to lace in my top 10 presidents throughout the rest of this conversation. Okay. (laughs) So FDR is number one. FDR has got to be number one. Uh, FDR, the new deal president, he saved our country from, from economic depression and, and he, he beat the Nazis, right? Um, he brought our boys home and married his cousin, by the way, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt's maiden name was Roosevelt. It's fucking weird. Shit was weird back then, man. <laughs> um, Good thing they didn't hyphenate it. Roosevelt, Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> and they had a kid named Roosevelt. Holy shit. Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. Triple oh. um, R. And, and like I mentioned before, FDR was a moderate who understood dem- d- democratic politics and representative government, and he went in the direction of where the government wanted him to go or where the people wanted him to go which I thought was cool. Uh, but also he's our number one president, but he was our concentration president, concentration camp president. Rather. He was the one who interned all the Japanese citizens that we had the Japanese, Japanese yeah. American immigrants. And like, what a dick to do that. And we have concentration. We had concentration camps in the, in Colorado where I live and that's our greatest president. So how, how yeah. is that our greatest president? We haven't had one better than the concentration camp guy. <laughs> and people love. Yeah. I mean, oh, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, the, the history of the world is, is conquering and genocide. And it's like, how do you get away from that when there's always going to be people in the world that want to conquer and want to commit genocide? There's always going to be leaders like that. That's how they get into power. That's how dictators get into power. So how do you fight against that? Uh, well, America is a pretty good start, but it's hard to agree on the future. 
that's the problem we're having right now. Like what future do we want for America? Do we want, you know, bigger government and more safety? Do we want smaller government? And I, I don't know. I don't know. This whole thing has taught me that I have no idea what the right answer is um, and that nobody else knows what the right answer is either. Yeah, those are great points. I think you touched on how power works inherently. Pow- the way power works is those in power seek to keep it and they will use it to perpetuate it. And, and conspiracy theorists who are obsessed with reptilians or the Illuminati or whatever, I think they're missing the point. They just need to look at how power dynamics work and what it means to have authority and you're going to enslave people. And they, they think it's some secret coordinated cobble and they don't understand that like our narcissism doesn't need to be coordinated. Right. Right. It's, it's human nature pushed to the farthest degree. Yeah. I was talking about Eva with Epstein. I've been watching this Mike uh, Jeffrey Epstein thing. Uh, yeah. And, it's insane. And conspiracy and- theorists see this, this coordinated global cobble of pedophiles, right? And it's like governments, it's like the Israeli government and the British government, there's tunnels and there's Epstein and it's the Illuminati. But they don't realize that it doesn't have to be coordinated. It could just be like Epstein's a disgusting fucking pervert and he happens to meet other disgusting perverts or he's he's so smooth talking and so rich that the fucking Palm Beach, you know, district attorney is like, we got to quash this because he's helping my election or like, it doesn't need to be coordinated. It could be just individual acts of narcissism and looking the other way and basic psychology. Right. Yeah. Or I mean, maybe it is coordinated. Who knows? He's got a whole freaking Island. And I think that that also goes to show you the, the power dynamics where you're just talking about like, what does the most powerful man in the world want? Well, he wants to have sex with hot women. You know what I mean? And, and then you get these people who are just like depraved lunatics. Well, they just, they keep getting younger and younger until you're a pedophile mm-hmm. and it, it's fucking absurd. Right. And it's like, I've, I've, you know, I'm a guy. If I look at a 16 year old girl, my brain says that, that girl is young. I'm not interested. Right. That's just, that's what my brain says. If I see a kid of another, of the opposite gender, my brain, brain says that is a person that is too young and I will not allow you to have sexual attraction because that's fucked up. Right. You know what I mean? And that's just the way that my brain works normally. Now, someone whose brain doesn't work like that is that, is that ingrained in the way that they just are just in general? Are they born like that? Or or do, do they come that by just making the wrong choices over and over and over again until you're a pathological liar, narcissist, sociopath, and that's just the path that it leads down, you know, the dark side. It's right. just like Star Wars, the dark side and the light side. Like yeah. the dark side is, is much more seductive and it's much faster. It's instant gratification. You could also be and abused. All that kind of stuff. It's power. You could also be abused as a child, right? Like oh, tra- absolutely, absolutely. You could develop a mental illness in life. People, you know, I think mental illness is so misunderstood. Uh, you could have a fall. Like my dad had a fall and had a psychotic break. Like you could hit your head and all of a sudden... Yeah. I've heard these stories about people getting With tumors. Aaron, Aaron Hernandez, CTE. Uh huh. People have gotten tumors and like started getting weird sexual attractions. So yeah, yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, like there are perverts out there, and and so, and there are rich people, and so there's going to be an overlap of perverts and rich people. And yeah, it was coordinated to an extent because Les Les Wexner, the billionaire, funded him. 
I'm sure Les Wexner was a pervert, right? And so they were they were working with each other. And um, I just, like, I don't know, I, I, the conspiracy thing. It's like, it's not a conspiracy. This is just how I think. This is just progressive politics in my mind. It's It's class war. It's been a class war since the beginning of time. Yeah. And I mean, so the, over the last few months, I have delved pretty deep into the conspiracy theories just because, you know, it's half fun and half like, like interest. And I'm sure even if even if one percent of all the conspiracy theories are right, that's a pretty hefty one percent that's going on right now. Totally, dude. It's entertaining and it's possible. So you should be you know, it's good to be informed on what reality could be. So what's what do you like? What, what have you liked? Um, I. I, I have been liking the adrenochrome frazzle drip. Uh, do, you, do you know about adrenochrome? I've heard of it. Yes. Oh, is this the, this is the shit that people, the reptilians this is the baby blood. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically the eternal secret of the Illuminati that has been passed down for, you know, thousands of years, however long it is. This is what the conspiracy theory is. The secret of the Illuminati is that if you take a child under the age, age of like eight and terrorize them so that their fear responses are at the absolute peak and then you drink their blood there is a substance that that is produced in their blood um, by the adrenal glands basically their, their blood is flooded with adrenaline and when you extract that from the blood you get something called adrenochrome and that's like it's like the most powerful euphoric psychedelic uh, drug that exists and it allows you to like interface with, with like dark entities and other dimensions. And it gives you like, it's like a fountain of youth. Um, so that, right. That is what supposedly the secret of the Illuminati is so that if you take these and, and there's, there's some that go far, far enough to say that in like South America and really remote locations, there's these huge buildings like football field size buildings where they have, thousands of children chained to like beds and they just terrorize them day and night and extract their blood. Um, and then once they're tapped out, they just kill them and, and, and that's it. And they eat their, their, their pineal glands. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that, that is the, yeah, yeah, that, that's like the secret of the Illuminati that, that is passed down. And that's why they do all these, these rituals to interface with these demons that give them like youth and power and all that kind of stuff. Right. Meanwhile, the same people probably think the homeless people living on my corner are choosing to be drug addicts. Like I, this is what fucking kills me about conspiracy theories. It's like, I, that's fine. Like maybe that's true, but there are a thousand, there's literally over 2000 homeless people in downtown Denver. And a lot of them are encamped like around my corner. And that is human suffering. Like I, Chaining babies to a building is to me the same fucking thing. Like you are and, and like going to Afghanistan, right? It's the same fucking thing. And you, these people should be so up in arms. Like I, this is happening in front of our eyes. Um, like the opioid, the, the war on drugs, like it's happening in front of our redlining. Like you don't need a conspiracy to see how powerful people torture and kill us. That's what's weird. Like it's yep. a psychology where like these people are like, we need to find some reason that people are secretly torturing us. It's like they're torturing us in public. Yep. So the yeah, adrenal, I mean, super low. I mean, buildings, buildings full of babies is, uh, that's not great. It doesn't sound, doesn't sound great. 
Not great. Not great. Not Bob. optimal. And then, but when you see how they treat homeless people and, and send us to war in Afghanistan, you're like, okay, killing babies. Like it's not that much of a stretch. Like we throw Japanese citizens and in, in, uh, Japanese American citizens in jail, right? For no reason. So anything is possible. We throw our own right? citizens in jail for very, for very specious reasoning. Yeah. Anything. You're, I, I understand that anything's possible, but it's, I talked to a lot of friends who were like, well, I don't trust this and I don't trust that. And, and it's, it's like, just be a socialist. It's so much easier. It's a class war. Join the class war, baby. Join the class war. Now, I my new hot take is that Joe Biden is on track to be the greatest U.S. president in the history of our country. You think so? Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, our best president ever was FDR. <laughs> so, like... Essentially, uh, and and he's proposed a bunch of amazing policies. Okay, he's got this America back to work or back back to work better uh, program. It's essentially the New Deal times five. It is five times bigger than New Deal, even adjusted for inflation. It's the New Deal on steroids, but and it's all based around coronavirus is causing the greatest depression we've ever had, even bigger than the Great Depression, and so. He's got the excuse to enact it. Um, also, this can get passed through budget uh, reconciliation, which means he doesn't need 60 Senate votes. He only needs 51. It's a stupid fucking rule um, that you actually need 60 Senate votes to pass a bill. You don't, you don't need 51 to pass most bills. You actually need 60, except for budget bills. Anyway, he can pass this giant New Deal but also the new deal, the jobs are all going to be based around green energy. So it's the green new deal and it's to solve our economic depression caused by coronavirus. So, and we would have never got this passed if it wasn't for coronavirus. It's the only way we're going to get right. this passed, which is dope. Um, so all he needs to do is do that, which it seems like he can do and he has support for it. And then not get us into a war, not start concentration camps and not put kids in cages and you're going to be number one by a mile. <laughs> so yeah, Joe Biden. Do you, do you think that, do you think that we're going to have a hot war with China? Uh, no, that's the other thing, Joe. I love, I'm, I'm obsessed with the psychological profile of Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm like fucking obsessed. I think he's yeah. so earnest. I think he thinks he's the greatest white civil rights leader of the 20th century. Um, I, I think he's, like the, he thinks he's the embodiment of the democratic party um, and a bridge to the future progressive movement. Uh, but he's obsessed with like our, our standing on the world stage and he, every president wants to be impactful, right. And, and meaningful. And so I think he would be really into getting us back to diplomacy and back to like a nice fucking cold war with China. Where, where <laughs> Do you worry about his mental, his mental state? Uh, no, cause like his MO as a politician since the seventies was that he's terrible at speaking and he frequently says awful things. He stutters, he jumbles his words. He says nonsensical things. That's been him for like 40 years. So no, I think he's same old Joe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whereas our current president, if you look back at videos from the eighties and interviews from the eighties of Trump, He's so articulate and so sophisticated. Yeah. And he's got the same ideas. You know, he's always been a right-wing populist, but 
he was so sophisticated and it's not like that anymore. The decline in Trump, I think is very obvious in his speech. And even, even in his debates with Hillary Clinton in 2016, you can see that he was much more like snippy snappy. He was like mm. on top of it. I loved the conspiracy theory that he was on like Sudafed or, or some kind of medication that has speed in it that he was the, getting from like India. The, diet, the diet pills. Yeah. yeah. So what's another conspiracy? Well, that's actually been proven as true. He, he really was on, he really has been on diet pills for like 15 years. Well, that's diet right. pills. And well, that apparently was the, the, uh, the sniffling, the, he kept sniffling during the debates. Apparently that is a yeah, side yeah. effect. Um, yeah, it's pretty hilarious. So what, give me another conspiracy theory that you, you got the adrenochrome. What else? Okay. So, so to go along with that one is, is frazzled drip or frazzled rip, whatever you want to call it. So basically, um, you know, Anthony Weiner, the disgraced politician who sent dick pics to, uh, his interns. Uh-huh. Um, basically his wife is like buddy, buddy with Hillary Clinton and John Podesta and that whole crew. Um, so when he was arrested, apparently, his like um, his get out of jail free card was that he has this video on his computer called Frazzle Drip or Frazzled Rip, and it purportedly shows um, Hillary Clinton um, and his wife Amia or whatever her name is, I forget what it is, right. um, doing the whole adrenochrome thing, basically torturing a young girl uh, um, in the video. And I, I've apparently you can find it on the dark web if you search for it. I'm not really sure. I haven't obviously gone to look for it. But apparently it shows Hillary Clinton um, surgically, with, with the help of a doctor, surgically cutting the face off of a young girl and wearing it on her face to terrorize the girl and then drinking her blood. Yeah. So that's what uh, Frazzle Drip uh, supposedly is a video of. And that's, that's why Anthony Weiner like, didn't, didn't like, go to jail forever and shit like that. Um, so, and it's pretty crazy because you think like a conspiracy like that, there would be like hundreds of videos on YouTube, like all this kind of stuff, but there isn't, there's like two videos on YouTube about it. And in one of them, um, one of them is a guy who, uh, apparently saw it, who worked for like the government. And he said he watched that video and another video. Um, and he describes the video and, and while he's describing it, there's this really loud music playing in the background it's like opera music like inserted into the into the video over him talking so it's hard to hear him yeah. and i was like why, why why is this music so loud and i looked in the comments and and it said the music has to be loud so the algorithms can't detect what he's saying just turn on the closed captions and then you can see what he's saying and i thought that was pretty crazy like there's literally like two videos on youtube about it that's it out of the millions and millions of videos on youtube there are two and I just thought that was so crazy. Like you think there would be so much stuff, but apparently YouTube takes it down. Facebook takes it down. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know. Don't know what to believe. No most. So. Eh, it's like, that's a, okay. So you were saying like, you're not sure like politically what to believe anymore. Um, you got to believe in democracy. That is yep. always the best because democracy as you know means like checks and ba- it means like everybody has a voice it means transparency and right. like people are obsessed with this but they don't understand how like undemocratic they don't like seek out ways to make our systems more democratic 
because that is the only way because they're not are. getting they're not getting paid to make our systems more democratic they're well, getting I, paid to make our systems less democratic but i mean conspiracy theorists rarely join organizations that like for example ranked choice voting we probably talked about is oh yeah 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 a huge step for democracy um I like every conspiracy theorist should be pushing for ranked choice voting. Like they should be, you should be more, you should just be interested in democracy because I don't know. Like, I think it's a bigger deal, honestly, like, okay, fine. Like there's buildings full of babies and they're drinking their blood. I honestly still think it's a bigger deal that we went against our treaties with the native Americans. (laughs) Well, they just gave half of Oklahoma back to them. Right. Exactly. We should give it all back. Like, I think the fact that we took land from native Americans is worse than torturing babies. <laughs> so I don't know. It's at least as bad. And, uh, these conspiracy yeah, theorists I, I, I guess are like it, up in arms about that. Yeah. I guess it goes back to what we were saying about conquering and genocide and that the entire world was built upon the, the civilization that was conquered before whoever right. moved in. You know what I mean? The native Americans were killing each other for their land before we got there. And then we killed them for the land. And it's like in the middle East, the wars have been going on there for 5,000 years. And they're killing each other for land and I'll take this land. I'll kill you. Now I take this land. Well, then I kill you and I take this mm-hmm. land. Yeah. So it's like, how do we, how do we move forward? And what I think is pretty cool is that the borders of the world and all the countries of the world have remained pretty constant since world war two. You know what I mean? Nobody's like conquering anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Russia has like gone into Ukraine and stuff like that. But I mean, it's, you don't see like, India going to war with their neighbor to gain territory. That's just not happening in today's world. Well, the uh, UN, the UN made it illegal. That's why. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's, that's not happened in the history of the world. This is the first time it's ever been like this. Right. Right. Exactly. And dude, people just don't understand their history. Like I fine, get pissed about adrenochrome, but it's like, you know, you know, like Egyptians had slaves. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not like it's not like Hillary Clinton was born and all of a sudden like evil started happening. Oh um, yeah, and I know these people trace it back to like uh, reptilians, the Nephilim, the biblical stuff, the Nephilim, which I, I'm all about. But um, they're not socialist. <laughs> like, well, get with the fucking program. Like, if you're so into taking your power back, uh, then do it. I think that because I used to be super into conspiracy theories, and I think it's a way for people to feel good about being powerless. Like it's like, okay, at least, at least the systems are so rigged that I can't do anything about it. Um, because I think it's in a way harder to know that there's something we can do about it. It's just going to take me getting off the fucking couch. (laughs) Yep. I'd rather, I'd rather just the world be fucked and me read about it online than the world be, possibly unfucked, but I got to do something about it. Right. I mean, greed will never go away. The problem with that is like everyone has principles until you're offered $10 million and you never have to work again for the rest of your life. It's like, well, you can do this and go to work every day for the rest of your life, or we'll give you $10 million and you do this. You know what I mean? That's politics. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you're, you're a Senator making, you know, 90 grand or whatever, or whatever they make is more than that. Um, And then a lobbyist comes and is like, Hey, I'll give you $5 million if you just vote for this law. And I'm like, holy shit, $5 million? Like, yeah. uh, okay. And then compound that over 50 years and right. however many senators 
and congressmen and the Congress people that are, and you get to where we are now, where money owns everything, corporations are people, and and we're getting paid, you know, seven fifty an hour. Right. Yeah, it's simple psychology that people are going to want to take care of themselves. I mean, I am. If it's me or you, I got to pick me because that's how biology works. So yeah, you know, people are going to yeah. be greedy. <laughs> Unfortunately, especially if you like create a system that rewards it. <laughs> it's like, well, of course, of course. Absolutely. Are greedy. Um, I was talking to a friend about this Russian doctor like a hundred years ago who was obsessed with human animal hybrids. Oh yeah. Doctor. Uh, what was his name? I don't know, but he was like the worst scientist ever. <laughs> like yeah, there yeah. was like no controls. <laughs> he was just such a clown. Like he would just go to Africa and like grab the first two uh, primates he could find. And he's like, these are good. <laughs> and then he'd like, just like petition, like poor Russian women. And he would like, he was getting ready to like start inseminating Russian women, but the Russian government started being anti-science by then. So they shut it down. But yeah. he took male semen and tried inseminating like a, a chimpanzee and an orangutan. And I was reading about this on Wikipedia and the article was like, those would have never been successful because the, the amount of chromosomes is so different. It's like 15 different. Yeah. Whereas a, a donkey and a horse, which I think makes a mule or the other way around, those have one chromosome. Yeah. yeah. So you can like make it work if the chromosomes are close. And then my friend and I were talking about which which primates did have close chromosomes. Then we were talking about how Elon Musk could totally do this if he wanted to because he's so rich. And imagine if Elon yeah. Musk was doing this. Yep. And then I said, my friends asked me how much money is too much because I'm a socialist. They want to know where my line is for how much money a person should make. And now I know, yeah. I don't know where the line is but I know that if you can make human animal hybrids in a secret laboratory, that's too much money. Like if you can fund that, <laughs> yeah. if you can fund a secret lab that does that, uh, you got too much money. If you can uh, own a building filled with 2000 babies with adrenochrome, that's too much money. <laughs> like we can right. solve this so adrenochrome then, then problem. That... Like just make sure no yeah, one's. So, so then no the question virtual. becomes, Hmm? Oh, sorry. There's like a, a little bit of a delay between our, uh, our inner, inner changes here. But um, then the question becomes, so let's say like Elon Musk, super genius, like Tesla type person, invents all these electric cars. And let's say he, he gets us to Mars, all this stuff. And then 100 years from now, we're living on Mars. Everything's great. It's like a post, post-scarcity society where everybody has like 3D printers we can make whatever we want nobody's to worry about food or anything and then a hundred years from now we find out that elon musk was drinking baby blood back in the day <laughs> where do, where, you know what i mean like it's the same thing with, with hitler nazis and like um operation paperclip and all the nazi scientists like they got us to the moon and like got us to the the where we are now and they were back there you know genociding millions of people so it's like what is the exchange rate between progress and evil right we take a lot of lumps, right? FDR with the, we're like, we'll take the new deal. If you have to give us concentration camps, we took that. Right, right, right. So then, so then that, that 
that goes to where we are now. And I think that's why we're in such a tricky situation now with the whole culture war and cancel culture and all that. And it's like, nobody is perfect. And I understand that there's levels to that. And some people are fucked up and need to be called out and put in jail or whatever. But what, you know, where, where do you allow the exchange rate between someone's, you know, messed up desires and their ability to bring progress and, you know, abundancy to the world. Where's the line? Is there a line? If we cancel everyone who's fucked up, we are left with no one, you know, yeah. basically in power. Right. Yeah. So I've been, it's such a confusing time, you know? Yeah. I've been like everyone else learning a lot about cancel culture recently. And cause I never, it was never a part of my life. I never understood it because I right. am ready to hear all sides. And right. And also I see it as being different than boycotting. Like I won't pay for a Louis CK live show anymore. I'll still watch his right. shit and laugh at it. Cause he's funny as hell. I'm just not going to support that. Cause I think it sends a good message to young comedians to not yeah. jerk, jerk off <laughs> in front of people. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's just, that's my personal choice, but I, I'm not canceling his thought, his, his voice. You know what I mean? I want him to still have a voice. I just don't want him to get paid for it. Um, <laughs> Uh, now, Bill Cosby, I would not be watching a Bill Cosby special. Right. I just can't. I can't laugh at it. There's a certain point of transgression. No, I, 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 I don't laugh at Woody Allen shit either anymore, unfortunately. Um, but I will laugh yeah, at Yeah, he's Louis real CK's. fucked up too. Yeah. Um, and so when I started learning about this cancel culture, it seems like the, the, the consensus is that cancel culture was created by the quote-unquote left. Um. And maybe it was like at its origins, but it seems like it's been popularized and shoved down our throat for at least the past four years by centrists slash moderates. I don't think it's been, I don't think it's been a quote unquote left movement to cancel people. I think it's been a moderate centrist yeah. movement. And I think people like don't understand that. They assume it's like the left. Do you agree? Um, It's, it's hard to classify things as left and right anymore because now there's, there's such extreme versions of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, where is the middle? You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to listen to Bill Cosby because he's like, you know, he might be the most prolif- prolific serial rapist of all time. You know what I mean? That's like, that's just what it is. So like, I'm not even going to entertain, like you don't see Bill Cosby memes. You don't see his content anywhere on the internet. You know what I mean? The only thing that I've seen of Bill Cosby is when he's like appealing to try to get out of jail. That's it. You know, Bill Cosby's legacy is gone. Totally. And and, and, totally. And that's, that's it. You know what I mean? Whereas for Louis CK, like it's a little more nuanced because, you know, it's, it's obviously still fucked up and I'm not, you know, but he asked the women if he could jerk off in front of them. There are, you know, that's one level. And then Bill Cosby is, is like a hundred levels above that. So it's like, there's like you said, like, I'm not, I'm probably not going to go see Louis CK live, but if I see a clip of him on Facebook, I'll sit there and watch it and laugh. Right. Cause he's funny. Um, right. but it, it's just like the levels of it. And like I was saying before, like when, when is the canceling too much? When do we allow people to, to serve their sentence and repent? And what is the path forward for people who fuck up and all that? Right. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting question. I get the impression that it's driven from the center and from moderates because it seems like 
it seems like it's kind of pushing the status quo. Um, like don't introduce any different ideas because yeah. I, I do see. So like, yeah, I think I thought that cancel culture was, was mostly about like sexual predators, <laughs> but apparently like it's become about, uh, yeah. Like if you are pro Israel, like the right thinks that if you're pro Israel, that like you won't get a job or something like, I don't even understand what? honestly. Yeah. Like that's dude. The right wing is fucking weird with this cancel culture thing. Like they make it about because you know, Tom Cotton posted like a racist column, op-ed column in the New York times. And the New York times later said that they shouldn't have published it. Um, okay. But it was essentially Tom Cotton was saying like, we should, we need to support the military going into um, like quash these uprisings in our cities. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird subject, but I don't think that there's that much cancel culture happening by progressives. Cause I think most progressives are really sensitive to cancel culture because of the red scare, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like people would say that that Joe Biden is like a left is like a left leaning person, but really he's more of a centrist. Uh -huh. And then you got people like Bernie who were trying to move him more left, but that's not even close to as far left as the of, as like the Antifa people who were like, you know, it's a bunch. Of, it's Antifa is like white kids. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. mid like lower twenty year olds to like mid thirty year old white people burning down buildings. Yeah. And it's like you see all the people who get arrested. And it's all white people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that, that gives me optimism and hope. Like I've heard a lot of people saying the diversity of the protests is really optimistic. Um, yeah. And I think Martin Luther King was, was working towards that with uh, the poor people's campaign and his benevolent society vision where it was people of all races kind of coming together as a class of working class people. So that's, I'm very hopeful for that. So we'll see. Yeah. It's like how, how, how high does our GDP have to be before we start giving poor people money? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. how, how, how many more millions and millions of dollars do these companies need to make while the poor people suffer and starve and live in poverty? You know, it's, it's so skewed and so ridiculous. And it's like, I, I'm someone who's on the lower end. I'm like, I mean, I would say I'm probably lower middle class um, because obviously I, I have a house, I have a car. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some people who don't have any of that stuff, who live in like a room in a house or a small room in an apartment who don't have a car, right. who, you know, maybe have like a, a track phone. Right. Yeah. And it's like, how are you supposed to pull yourself? It's so hard to pull yourself up from that from, from having no money to get to the next level of having, even just having a thousand dollars, you know what I mean? It's a struggle to maintain a thousand dollars in my bank account, but I've never gotten to the point where I had to sell my car to, to eat or pay my rent. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm really optimistic that like, there's more people like us that see things like this where, you know, it's not, it's not right to, want to work and, and to work and to not have 
enough money to fucking survive, you know? Um, so I think, I think voting will start to change in this country and, you know, hopefully it becomes more democratic, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm more optimistic than I've ever been that Joe Biden will fucking do a good job. Cause he's, he's got this transition team where he, he put in a bunch of progressives, a bunch of these staffers that work for really progressive members of Congress, like legit, not corporate people. Um, and this wasn't something just for show, just to appease the left wing or appease the progressives because like it flew under the radar. Like they, they really, and this is, these are not the kind of appointments you make if you want to make a big publicity statement. These are the kind of appointments you want to make if you want Joe Biden to actually be like more progressive than a centrist, which I think is fucking dope as a progressive. Um, I think Joe Biden sees himself as like the embodiment of the democratic party. So he's willing, I think to move in the direction that the people, the voters and the other powerful members want to go in. So I think that's promising. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do in this upcoming election. I guess we'll see how the next few months go. Uh-huh. Uh, dude, you got to vote Biden. That's for sure. That's for goddamn sure. You're in a swing state. That's an yeah. important vote. Um, yeah. Well, you see, uh, you see Joe Jorgensen moving up the ranks sort of kind of not really, who? really, but a little What's bit. That? Joe Jorgensen, the libertarian uh, candidate. Oh, please no, don't vote. That's throwing away your vote. We don't have, we don't have enough democracy for that, unfortunately. So don't do yeah, that. Yeah, it's very true. Very true. Um, in Colorado. For Kanye the, West. Right, right. Um, for the next primaries in Colorado, we'll have ranked choice voting. So like the next presidential primary and Senate primaries, whenever that happens, we'll get to kind of rank who we want, uh, which will lead to more democracy, more third part, more outside the box candidates, you know, I'll be able to vote for, which will be awesome. Um, yeah, that's sweet. But obviously not at the national level. So listen, I wanted to, there was, I wanted to come on here to talk about a very specific topic which is the favorite movies of Joe Biden and President Trump. I would love to talk to you about this. Okay. Do you have any thoughts okay. on like what Joe Biden's favorite movie or Trump's favorite movie might be? Well, according to Penn Gillette of the uh, esteemed magic duo Penn and Teller, um, when he went on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, he said, um, he spent time with Trump and he was like, Trump is the most ridiculous person because he like, he basically, he doesn't, like music he doesn't like art he's just he doesn't laugh he doesn't like he the way he described it was so crazy he's like donald trump will never like earnestly laugh at something he'll only laugh at other people but he won't like laugh at like a funny joke really um he'll only laugh at the expense of other people um he doesn't like like art or or music or any of that kind of stuff so Going with that description, it would seem like he probably doesn't watch movies. Yeah, great point. That's interesting. Well, when when, when did Penn Gillette... <laughs> and I would say I would say Biden's favorite movie is Weekend at Bernie's. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fun romp. Just a fun romp. Yeah. Yeah i I could see Trump not liking movies. I my first thought was Trump doesn't have the attention span currently to watch a movie. He wouldn't want to watch any movie. And so right. maybe, maybe he's always been like that. I, 
I also feel like Penn Jillette may have talked to him. This was probably Celebrity Apprentice, so probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But I think that maybe Trump might have been different in the 80s. Who knows? So let's assume that Trump likes movies. I'm going to go. Yeah. My, my thought was first, like maybe Armageddon or Independence Day, because it's like explosions and. Uh, oh, Michael Bay. Michael Bay, exactly. But mm-hmm. the more I thought about it, I was thinking like 80s, New York City. That's really Trump's like hot zone, you know, rich, rich 80s New York yeah. City. So I'm like, oh, clearly he loved Wall Street, but right. he loved it for the wrong reasons. Like he was like, <laughs> he's like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. He's like that Gordon Gecko. What a great guy. Like he's gotten such a raw yeah. deal. Everybody's everybody's. Uh, so <laughs> he loves. He thinks Gordon Gecko's so great. So yeah, that's my pick for Trump. Yep. And you said weekend at Bernie's. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> Bernie's for Joe Biden. No, I, I think I think I have the best one, and that is that Joe Biden loves the movie Remember the Titans. Oh. Ooh, it was a great movie. I have so many thoughts. Right, great movie. First of all, like perfectly fine movie to love. So yep. Um. Also, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of any good movies I've seen lately. I really haven't watched many movies lately. <laughs> like he loves La La Land. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, this is great. Little Women. I'm have sure you Have you seen the new Eric Andre comedy special on Netflix? No, he's a weirdo. You, oh my god, it is. It, I would highly recommend it. It's really really funny. Okay. Is it sketch comedy? Is it stand up? What is it? it it's stand up. Um, okay. It's like it's pretty irreverent, but he definitely makes some points at some some points of it. Um, but just like his show, have you ever seen his show, the Eric Andre show? No. Well, yes, yes, the Eric Andre show. I did. Yeah. yeah, it's like completely absurd. It's just like it's almost like a sketch show, but it's like a sketch show of like a late night show of yeah, a sketch he's, show. It's, he's it's really pretty weird. ridiculous. Yeah, he's very weird. Yeah, um, but I, I've never seen his stand up. But I didn't know what to expect, and it was it was amazing. It's probably the funniest thing I've watched in a while. Huh. Cool. Um. Yeah, I'll check that out. I'll check out a little Andre stand-up. So I, I uh, remember the Titans is also a movie about how U.S. racism was solved by the most charismatic black man in the world, mixed with football. Right. And I think that's just like uh, Jackie Robinson. Just like Jackie Robbins, right? Well, I was thinking just like Barack Obama, and so then it that got too, yeah. then it got me thinking that like I bet Joe Biden sees himself as Coach Boone. If you remember Coach Boone, Coach Boone was the head coach, decorated, long career, and then the school gets integrated, and the black guy gets selected as head coach, and Coach Boone has to take Ooh. the back seat. He's got to be the VP, I mean the assistant coach, and he's got to be the yes man for Obama, I mean Denzel. And it's like the same. <laughs> it's the same goddamn story. He, I guarantee you he watches that and he's like, "Goddamn that Coach Boone," and he like sees himself in it for sure. He like texts. He texts Barack Obama like, "Love you." <laughs> No, I bet. <laughs> I love it. every fucking time it's on cable. He's like, yeah, like Joe, are you watching? Remember the Titans again? Yeah, he's like, no, he's like, bo channel channel two forty three. It's on. Like, Joe, Joe, please stop texting me. I'm on. I'm in the Virgin Islands with my family. 
<laughs> and Joe's like, Joe's like, the speech is coming. Left's strong. He just starts texting him, left side, strong side. <laughs> or no, Joe Biden just texts left side and he doesn't get his and he doesn't get an answer. And he keeps texting left side. Left side. All caps. And then Obama finally, strong side. <laughs> He said, he said, he starts like, he starts recording a video of that part of remember the Titans, but then forgets that he was recording the video and ends up just like recording his phone in his pocket for like six hours. till his phone dies. Yes. And like talking about the, the pork chops being on too long with his wife. <laughs> How come my phone's dead? See, isn't psychologically profiling Joe Biden the funnest thing ever? Uh, yes. <laughs> he has a giant German shepherd. He has the biggest German shepherd in the world. You should Google a picture. It's like half the size of him. That's when I sitting for a socialist. <laughs> well, that's when I recognized that <laughs> that's the first, that's when the thought dawned on me. I was like, Oh my God, Joe Biden is so masculine. <laughs> and, and I told Eva that. She I mean, like, he's the one who said to get a shotgun for home defense. Oh, did he? Yeah. He was like, get a shotgun and fire it into the air. Have you heard? And you about- know what? Now I have one. Right, now you can do that, just like Joe Biden. I can do that. You're not far from his stomping grounds. True. Uh, I told Eva that uh, all of this information, and she was like, how could you think that he's so masculine? Like, what what brought you to this conclusion? I was like, have you seen his bulge? (laughs) Right, I'm sure he's got a giant bulge. um, Well, the dog, really, that giant dog. There's one picture where he's got his aviators on. He's sitting down with his wife and his giant dog sitting, laying down in front of him. And and he's wearing his, like, blue jeans, his 90s dad blue jeans. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, falls asleep on the couch. Yes, yes. He's a cow. Yes, he falls asleep on the couch. Reads the paper on the Amtrak. Um, Yeah. But Eva was like, what's your evidence for his masculinity? And I was like, well... When he first got in the race, he kept talking about wanting to fight Donald Trump. Do you remember this? <laughs> Which is like yeah, so like like schoolyard. I think he may have said actual schoolyard at one point. Um, and then also he's famous for publicly inappropriately touching women and simultaneously being completely oblivious to the fact that he's inappropriately touching women. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is more yeah. masculine yep. than that. And then my, my point, the third, is that he earnestly believes that he is the civil rights leader for white people in the 20th century. And he also earnestly believes that his charm and charisma can get it done. And like, I'll convince him his optimism and his confidence in himself is to me so masculine, you know? Is that... Is that like the Dunning-Kruger effect where he thinks he's like way more competent than he actually is? Um, I think it's like the white guy effect. Like he, he's kind yeah, maybe he knows, he knows a little bit. And so he thinks he's just like a genius. Yeah. Um, perhaps, but I think he's earnest. I think overall he, he truly believes all these things. And, um, I like that about him. Like it's so refreshing <laughs> in politics. Like in the way that Trump, Trump is just like unapologetically himself. So is Joe Biden. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They're too, I, I wouldn't call Trump earnest, but you're the, like Trump tries to be deceitful. Right. But he's so bad at it 
that like it becomes so obvious who he is. Does that make sense? Like when, a, like when a little kid is like lying to you and they're just like telling you this like nonsensical story and like they just like keep adding on another sentence when as they realize that you're not believing them, they just keep adding on more and more of the story. That is exactly what he does, right? He rambles, yep. he, he does that circular talking thing. You're so right. And so he thinks he's doing it. I had a boss like this. He thinks he's totally pulling one over on you, but we all see who he is. So that's, that's nice. Really, you know that he's the one who knocked over the vase in the living room. <laughs> he was the, the urn, grandma's ashes. And uh, which is, um, what, you know, there was a dog. You ran in uh, the vase, um, and and uh, China, the trade war, and uh, I don't know what happened to the vase. <sighs> well, what else you got, dude? We're, we're we're cruising here on this pod, heading towards two hours. Uh, what else you got? Yeah, this is this has been great. Um, so, uh, um, my wife, Angel, watches this show. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's called Married at First Sight. Have you ever heard of this show? Yeah, I've heard of it. Oh, my God. It's like, I, I was talking to my mom about it the other day because I, I don't sit down and watch it, but, you know, our house is 1,100 square feet. So, like, if she has it on in our room, like, I'm going to hear it. So, I, you know, there's, like, 10 or 11 seasons of it, and she, she's watched almost every season over the course of the quarantine. Yeah. And... I, I was talking to my mom about it, and what it really is is it's an arranged marriage show. So basically, tens of thousands of people, just like American Idol, go to like sign up to try to get on this show, and they're like, "I'm single. I'm single. I'm like 32. I haven't been, you know, all my relationships have, have totally sucked. I can't <laughs> find anybody. Yeah. So they, they they create a database of all these people, and then scientifically, these like three relationship experts um, match five couples up and give them eight weeks to live together and like basically try to make it work. Um, and if at the end of eight weeks they sit down and then they have to decide if they want to get married or get a divorce. And if they get a divorce, the show pays for it. But if they stay married and then they, they get a divorce after that, they have to pay for it themselves. Uh, so it's a little bit of a, a little bit of an incentive to, to, say how you really feel but it's it's not as like flippant as a show like the bachelor which i think is like just horrible like you're you're humiliating people on national tv you're promoting like the opposite of the american family which is just like this guy is gonna bang 24 girls and then pick one you know what i mean like that's what the bachelor is it's i think it's so completely absurd i can't believe it's on tv um but this is more like of course it's very stupid and it's reality TV, but the premise is a little bit more believable. It's like these people have, have had bad relationships. So we're going to scientifically match them up to people who should be on paper compatible. And then they have to make it work. And then after eight weeks, they decide if they want to stay married. And it's like the retention rate is maybe like, like 20%, 25% um, of people like stay together. And some of them have kids and it's like, it's, it's crazy. Like some of them crash and burn so hard, but then out of the five couples, like if four of them crash and burn and then one is so perfect that they're like super happy forever and have kids and start a family. Like it's just such an interesting dynamic. Like, was it worth it for those other four couples to get like totally fucked up for this one, these two people to like have the perfect life together. That's what I find interesting about it. Um, just like the casualties, the emotional casualties <laughs> along the way, the bodies, you know I mean? like, the bodies left in the wake. What, yeah. Yeah. Like the emotional, yeah. The emotional body count. Um, I'm sure most of them are like, yeah, well, I had nothing else going on. 
Yeah. Well, well, see, some, some of them, it's, it's crazy because in some of the relationships, like the guy will not be attracted to the, to the wife or vice versa. So then for eight weeks, you're just with this person who tells you that they're not attracted to you every single day. Like that's got to fuck you up forever. Cause they're like fat or what? No, they're just like not their type. I got you. They're like, yeah, yeah. So what, like what imagine if, if like you're matched up with like someone who you're just not attracted to, Dude. and then they're super attracted to you, so you just have to shut them down. What if it's five hundred times a day? What if it came out later that the producers were like intentionally like fucking like putting white supremacists with black women? Well, that's funny that you say that because the, I've never seen an interracial couple matched on the show, which I thought was very interesting. It's always black people match with black people, white people match with yeah. white people. There's never any deviation from that. There's a YouTube show. I forget what it, it's like. Um, kind of like a blind date thing where they just get two strangers and they're wearing blindfolds. And I think they're like taking shots while they ask each other questions that I think it's vanity fair. Does it, um, where they ask each other questions that the vanity fair writers thought of and they have to ask each other. And like, it's really funny and cute and they get flirty. And then at the end, like they ask if they want to kiss. And I think it's so cool. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. With the, blind, with the blindfold still on or blindfolds yep, with off? The blindfold still on. And then afterwards oh, you, you take the blindfold off. But, and also like you, the, the, one of the last questions is you ask like if, if you'd be interested in going on another date. Um, it's really cool. But this one dude, um, this black dude was uh, paired up with a transgendered, woman and I only knew that because she was on another series about transgendered people and if I had not seen that series I would have thought that she was a cisgendered woman because she was like hot she was like a blonde with nice tits and tats and she looked cool and um and the dude made out with her at the end and I was like I wonder if they disclosed to him that he might be paired up with a transgendered person or maybe he puts in his preference. Like, I'm sure that's what happened. I'm sure he puts down like, I'm down for whatever. Like I'm this, this is what types of identities I'm interested in. Right. Cause I don't think they would like blindfold him and like, I don't think that's that immoral, but some people might. But not. it's, it's, oh. right, right. it's not a hundred percent like cut and dry. Yeah, that's because you're blindfolding somebody, so they're put. You're you are taking their trust, like they're putting their trust in you, and so I think that's what right. makes it immoral. I don't think it's immoral to like. I don't know. Maybe it's immoral to. No, yeah, I, I guess it is immoral to trick somebody into like kissing another man, right? If they didn't want to, not that it's immoral to kiss another man. It's immoral to like deceive somebody. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I get that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting conversation. Yeah, so I'm sure. I'm sure they they fucking screened it, so it was cool. But I thought that was really cool because that that didn't come up at all. Um, and I just thought it was a great way of like presenting identity. You know. Yeah, yeah, that that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got. I, I saw a couple movies recently that you should check out. Okay. Uh, Hulu has Palm Springs with Andy Samberg. Okay. And it's great. I really, really like it. Um, like one of the best indie movies uh, I've seen in the past few years. And it's, it's on Hulu. So check it out. So let me ask you a question about movies in general. Do you, 
do you at all feel more wary about watching produced media in general after all the allegations of like Harvey Weinstein and like sex trafficking and like all these high level movie and actor like perverts like does that does that factor into your thought process at all when you're like about uh, hey here's a new movie from like you know Paramount Pictures like how many people got fucked over through the making of this movie right no no I uh I remain blissfully I guess detached from that <laughs> yeah I mean it's kind of it's kind of just like how you said that Eva always tells you to like purchase just responsibly like get things that are ethically sourced and all that kind of stuff yeah. so I just figured that would tie into that in some way. Yeah. That's, um, we, I, I don't know. I, I like to watch a lot of indie movies and a lot of movies with, with women as the main storyline. So I'm like, I feel like I'm doing enough. Yeah. What I've noticed uh, uh, also is that a lot of the new video games that are coming out have women protagonists. Yeah. That's cool. Like a lot, a lot. Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. Also like, it's hard, like it's hard to do, but it's, I think it's, I try to separate what somebody's doing in their personal life. Like if I find out that they're fucking being a pervert, then yes, from that point on, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to support like the work that they, that they will make money off of. Um, but it's, it's not as bad. Like I purchasing something from purchasing a product that is produced with sweatshop labor for some reason I think is worse than enjoying like a piece of entertainment, you know, given a few shekels over to Hulu. Um, even though they could be just as exploitative, I don't know. God, what a fucking rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, Harvey Weinstein founded Miramax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, which produced like Bay and Silent Bob and all those ridiculous indie movies. Dude, every um, Tarantino movie. Yeah. He was Tarantino's guy. Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. Tarantino, by the way, a fucking super weirdo, kind of a creep, like not a not an overly sexual creep, but like just like a gross dude. Um apparently like uh, do you remember Kill Bill where Uma Thurman gets spit on? Like Tarantino, yes. Tarantino personally spit on Uma Thurman like 20 times to get like the perfect take of like spitting on her face. It's like, ugh. oh my God, Can you, you could, you could probably get away with not spitting on her 20 times. Like I'm sure take four was like fine. <laughs> Uh, but he's an auteur yeah. and, and I've heard a lot of people and a lot of feminists say that like auteur filmmakers is just another word for like asshole, <laughs> which I think is funny. You're just like a yeah. tyrant asshole on set. Who's like a dictator. You want to know another movie produced by Miramax and Harvey Weinstein? Goodwill hunting. It's unfortunate. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He gave them their start. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a fraught world. I mean, it goes back to the top 10 greatest U.S. presidents, as I said. Yeah, like yeah absolutely. Great, I mean, there's shitty ones everywhere. Like, power is such a disgusting thing when it's not democratic, when it's not shared. And yeah, sh sharing, absolutely. sharing power might be the most difficult thing humanity has to do, right? Like, that's yep. not easy because it involves giving up 
it involves certain individuals giving up massive amounts of power if you want it to be shared. So it's not easy. It goes against some psychological impulses, you know? And on that topic, another movie, Harvey Weinstein, Gangs of New York, which is all about the struggle for power. Uh, Interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. There's that one. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got got Reservoir Dogs. Well, I mean, True it's like romance. If you, it's like if you go to the University of Virginia. It's like, yeah, the slave owner started this. Um, uh, oh, another movie I saw that I wanted to mention, uh, Hamilton, which is, you know, a filmed theater performance. Yes, my mother just watched that recently. Yeah, did she like it? I believe she did. Everyone likes it. Dude, I saw a clip of, like, John Oliver watching a clip, and he's like, it's so good. And I'm like, Jesus, like, everyone... Just loves it. I think people like to love things, right? It's fun to get excited about something. So, oh, definitely, yeah. I feel like there's something that like that in the zeitgeist. Like there's kind of a collective unconscious thing going on where people are just excited to get excited. So you watch Hamilton, and it's like, woohoo! You get giddy. Yeah, um, yeah. Just like something, something cool. Yeah, and I'm not. I don't like the great man story. You know, I'm I'm tired of the great man story. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't glorify the founding fathers the way most people in our country do. I, I think they were good at starting a country and good at keeping power for themselves. Um, but I don't think they were good at democracy and they weren't good at like not killing Indians and not enslaving people there. I think there were more honorable people from that time. I would rather honor others like Thomas Paine or governor Morris. Like I know a ton about founding fathers who were anti-slavery pro women's, uh, suffrage pro women's land ownership. Like there were some very progressive people back then. It's not like everyone thought that it was morally okay to own people. That is not the truth. And so I don't like want glorifying people that did. Um, but also like the lyrics of Hamilton, it was at least three or four times where they refer to ha- Alexander Hamilton as an immigrant which is factually incorrect. And I understand that like, you don't go see a piece of art for the facts cause it's not a documentary, but this is something people are so in love with. I think it, people should understand that Alexander Hamilton wasn't an immigrant. Um, cause he was born in the British Virgin islands. And when he was 14, he moved to New York city or maybe 16. So, he moved from one British territory to another and that doesn't make you an immigrant. Right. <laughs> That's like, if I moved to Pennsylvania, I'm immigrating. I'm not. So yeah. Just, yeah. Like it's, it's just these, I think these things matter. I think people are like, see America's this place where immigrants could come over and be a fence. Like, no, they weren't immigrants came over and were owned. They were slaves. And some immigrants came over and were lucky enough to be landowners and to like be founding fathers. And I don't know. It's, it's a, it's like a blind having blinders on kind of. So it's just things yeah. like, as a history nerd and as like a strong progressive who loves the resistance, blah, blah, blah. It just, that kind of stuff. I'm like, ah, I can't get into it. Yeah. And also history is written by the victors. So it's like how much of our history have we lost because it just wasn't recorded. Yeah. How much Alexander Hamilton do I really need to know about? He's on the $10 bill. Like how much do we need to know about? There's so many things named after Hamilton as well. Like I, we don't, I was telling Eva, if it was about the Haitian revolution, I'd be so psyched. Cause that was a slave revolt. 
And also after the revolution, the rest of the world um, boycotted and like froze out Haiti because they were afraid of the slaves in their own country getting inspired to revolt. Yeah. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe next time. Lynn. Yeah. Maybe next time. I was really entranced though with Lin-Manuel Miranda's use of different musical styles. I think everyone loves that, but I didn't love his hip hop. I didn't love his rapping the words that he wrote, but I love the idea that there was hip hop in a musical. And then there was one song, one song sounded like a, like a destiny's child song. And one song sounded like a Nicki Minaj song. And then he had, he had one that sounded like the Beatles, like the King of England sings a song. That's like a very British invasion sound. So I'm like, this is great. Like he's very creative, but um, yeah, it just, it wasn't for me, but even I, a a week later, I'm thinking about it. I'm still listening to the songs. Right. Right. So I didn't even like it that much. And it had like an impact on me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, He's, he's, that's art. Well, my favorite thing that Lin-Manuel Miranda made was Moana. Have you ever seen Moana? He made Moana. He did the soundtrack. Isn't that incredible? Did he really? I love Moana. He like, he like shit out the entire soundtrack, like on a weekend. They were like, can you do this again? Just made something amazing. He wrote every song? I think pretty much. I don't know if it was every song, but um, he wrote. That's crazy. He wrote like all the main songs. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, it was him and Opataya Foai, like some, uh, you know, uh, Samoan Hawaiian type dude. Yeah, fucking dope. Yeah, that's crazy. He did. You're welcome. Yeah, it features songs written by Lin Manuel, Lin Manuel Miranda, Mark Mancina, and Opataya Foai. Yeah, so that's pretty amazing. He just like he's yeah, like that's a, crazy. He can just whip that out, whip that up. And that's my favorite thing. Yeah, but Moana songs, Moana songs have great like um, little, little, like sub sub melodies within the melodies. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, dude, cool. let's. Uh, I got more topics to cover, but I'm getting hungry. I think we should, should try and do this again soon. Yeah, yeah, I gotta go feed my cats. I was supposed to feed them. Oh, <laughs> you gotta feed the cats, dude. The cats. Um. All right. Well. Or you could be feeding like the Jewish, the cats, the K A T Z, the cats's. I don't know. The cats. Yeah. Well, this has been fun, man. Thanks, thanks for for hopping on. Let's do it again. Yeah, definitely. Great pod. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna leave us here with some some uh, Moana, I guess. Oh, hey. Look out! This song. All right. Well, for Lee, for me, AJ, thanks for listening. It's been the Unnecessary Podcast. Leave you with Dwayne The Rock Johnson singing You're Welcome. See you, Lee. Look at Adam, yo.